Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. Fellowship, especially if you're joining us for the first time, we are, we are thrilled you could join us today. My name is Chris. I am the, the teaching pastor here at the Upper Room. We are in the third part of a series called Great Faith. Uh, if you missed last week's message or any, any messages, you can always go back and listen online. You can do that at urfellowship.com, letter U, letter rfellowship.com. So here's what we're talking about in this series. You ready? All right. My observation is that when people tell their story about their faith journey, a few things pop up over and over and over in that experience. So let me give them to you really quick. The few things we see God use over and over in, in lives to grow faith are biblical teaching. We talked about that last week. Then orchestrated relationships. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Then personal or private disciplines, uh, and personal ministry, and then circumstances that are kind of, kind of eye-opening, defining moment kind of things. These are the things that over and over again, as people tell their stories, we see that these are the things that God uses or has used in a big way to kind of help grow their faith. There we go. <clears throat> and the reason great faith is important is because, as we said the very first week, Faith is the key to a strong, healthy relationship. And by faith, I mean trust or confidence. And so as our confidence in God grows, our personal relationship with God grows. Today, I want to talk about the second one, orchestrated, or you could say providential, ordained relationships. And then, and then today is Communion Sunday, so we're going to take communion together. So here's the thing. Whenever you hear a faith story, a faith story whenever you hear somebody talk about Here's kind of how I feel like God worked and moved in my life. You always hear about relationships. I've never heard, and maybe this is your story, but you're the exception. I've never heard, in isolation on my own, I discovered God. Grew in my faith in God, became everything God wanted me to be, and had absolutely nothing to do with anyone in my life. I think if that's your story, you probably don't even know your own story very well. But generally speaking, when people tell their story, they talk about relationships that they've had. And here's a principle in the point of today's message. It's a really simple message today, that God uses human relationships to impact our faith in him. That's it, that God uses human relationships to grow our faith in him. Now here's the thing, the opposite is true as well. This is a principle, and like all principles, it works both ways. Because I would, I would bet that for most of us in here, if I asked the question, has there been anyone in your life looking back that kind of undermined your faith in God? Are there any relationships in the past that kind of knock the legs out from underneath your faith? I think there would be many in here that would say, yeah. As a result of a relationship, I believed less. As a result of a relationship, I find myself further from God. Relationships have the potential to grow or undermine our faith. Why? Because relationships are powerful things. And the wrong kinds of relationships have the potential to undermine our faith. And the right kinds of relationships have the potential to build and grow our faith. I mean, I doubt too many people would argue with me about that. For the most part, we have all have enough history to see that there there aren't many neutral relationships. 
Everybody you come into contact with in some way either erodes your faith in God or helps to build it. Now the challenge is, what do you do with that? I mean, an, an, a God-orchestrated relationship isn't something you go out and do. It just kind of happens. But here's why I think it's so important and worth talking about. Because by being aware of the significance of relationships and how they affect our faith, we can utilize this principle. And you may have been kind of raised in a religious tradition where faith was all about your, your prayer life. Faith was all about this kind of personal, private, Sunday kind of thing. So maybe you've never asked the question, how do my relationships affect my faith? And if you've never asked that question, you may be missing out on one of the primary things God uses to build and establish your faith. Now the other reason I feel like this, that we need to figure this thing out, is that every single day you are around people who could care less about your faith. And every single day we live in a culture that's not pushing us toward greater faith in God, but away from it. And every single day we are introduced to circumstances and events and things on the news that make us think maybe God is not in control. Maybe I can't trust God. Maybe God's not faithful. Maybe I can't wake up every day confident that God is with me in spite of what I see. I mean, the current of our culture is never toward good things. It's always toward bad things. And my nature tends to go in that direction too. Right? Maybe it's just me, but I'm rarely tempted to do the right thing. Rarely do I think, you know, I really wasn't going to be kind, but I gave in and was kind anyway. That's not my experience. It really didn't, I didn't want to do the right thing. I just couldn't help myself, so I did the right thing. No, our nature and our culture always goes the other way. It will always push towards, towards the bad. And it can cause us to drift from confidence and faith in God. So that being the case, <clears throat> if there's something relationally that will help build and establish and create greater confidence in God, I don't, I don't want to miss it. And here's what I believe is true. And I'm going to try to make this case in a minute. But I think there are things that we can do to work with our Heavenly Father to create what you might consider looking back to be orchestrated relationships. Because in every relationship you are in, you have a choice to make. It could be that there are relationships that God is orchestrating for you right now, and if you're not careful, you'll miss them. I imagine that most of us could look back at a time in our lives, if you've lived long enough, to where if you kind of accept this whole idea that God may bring people into our lives for a purpose, I bet many of us could tell a story of, man, a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago, there was this person who kind of came crashing into my life in an interesting way. There was a person who was constantly trying to talk to me about God. Or there was this, that, that couple that kept inviting me to church, and I kept just putting them off. And perhaps that was God's way of trying to get your attention through this, this principle, through, through a relationship. But you had a choice to make, and maybe you decided to walk away from that. What I want to try to encourage you to think about today is, if relationships can be orchestrated by God, if God uses people to build and create greater faith, then we need to ask the question, what do we need to do about that? I want to show you a couple of passages of Scripture. And these verses really, they <clears throat> reiterate for us what experience already tells us, I think. That God uses relationships to impact and grow our faith. There are a few Scriptures about this. The first one is found in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs thirteen twenty. This is what it says. It says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, you don't have to be a Christian or even an insightful kind of person to understand the kind of relationship that verse is talking about. 
He who walks with the wise becomes wise. The companion of fools suffers harm. Here's the promise of the verse. And the, the wisest man in the world wrote this verse. And he says this, that the people you choose to surround yourself with will impact your life and your spirituality. And if you choose to walk with wise people, to do life with wise people, surround yourself with the right kinds of people, that God uses those relationships to create something good in you. And in this case, and in the Old Testament context, it says you'll get wisdom. There is a spiritual component. And again, for some of you, this is not new. For others of you, this may be a little bit of a new category. There is a spiritual component to relationships. A couple other verses. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Proverbs 12.26 The righteous man is cautious with his friendships, but the way of the wicked leads him astray. These are both saying, you show me your friends, I'll show you who you're becoming. If you hang out with people who are better than you, wiser than you, smarter than you, have better marriages than you, are better with their money than you, are better leaders than you, you're going to become like them, and you're going to rise to their level. And if you hang out with a herd of idiots, people who get in trouble, people who spend money unwisely, they're going to drag you down to where they are. You show me your friends, and I promise you I can show you your future. In fact, as I look at my life, if there's any area of success in my life, it is directly tied to God using the right people to lead me into the right mindset or the right actions. You show me any area of success, and I will show you how God used the right people to help influence me in the right direction. On the other side, just like you, the times when I got into trouble, back earlier, in earlier seasons of my life, I rarely got into trouble alone. Who knows what I'm talking about? If you hang around those who are full of faith, you will become more full of faith. If, on the other hand, you run around with people who are negative, critical, cynical, you're going to get sucked down to that level. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But we really do face some hurdles when it comes to relationships and friendships in our culture. A guy by the name of Dr. Bruce Perry, in his book, Born for Love, describes what he calls relational poverty. Uh, Relational poverty is just what it sounds like. It is a lack of connectedness with others that we all need to survive and live well. Relational poverty is sweeping across the developed Western world. It seems the more financial blessings, the more material blessings people have, the more they are losing relationships. And there's a lot of theories as to why. One of them, I believe, is that in our society, we so celebrate and strive for independence and autonomy. I don't want to depend on anybody. I don't need anything. That we forget that to be independent is distinctly non-Christian. God did not create us to be independent, but to instead to be dependent on him and on the people in his family. In fact, even in our language, I believe sometimes we don't communicate the fullness of what God wants. In the church world, we'll say something like, and I've said this a number of times, and it's very true, which is you need to have a personal relationship with God. It is true, but it's also incomplete. Because there's actually something even deeper than that, which is a shared relationship with God. What's even better than experiencing God on your own is experiencing the glory and the power 
and the majesty and the goodness and the character of God in the context of a broader, deep biblical community. And yet the reality is so few people have that. In our culture today, we have so many external blessings, and yet so many people internally are relationally impoverished. Why is that? I did some research this week, and based on my research, I'll give you my opinion of the top three reasons why so many, so many are relationally impoverished today. Uh, the first is because of increased mobility. Uh, we don't stay in one place very long anymore. Uh, the average American moves once every five years. If you're between the ages of 20 and 40, you move on average once every three years. It is really hard to have long-term relationships when we don't stick around. Uh, number two is modern conveniences. I read a book years ago that talked about how the air conditioner massively changed community fr- friendships. Uh, why? Because before the air conditioner, when it was warm, where did people hang out? In the evening time, right? In the front yard, outside. Because it was cooler outside. Everybody talked to each other. And you got to know your neighbors. Air conditioning came and everybody went inside. Next modern convenience that changed neighborhood relationships was the attached garage. Uh, when they're attached, and with the invention of the garage opener, now you don't, even have, you don't even have to wave at your neighbors. Right? You can just pull up to your bat cave there, push a button, open the door, pull in, shut it. And you can live in the same neighborhood for years and never have to even talk to the people next to you. Modern conveniences. <clears throat> There's also, now I know some of you who are too young, uh, are just maybe too young to know what I'm talking about, but the answering machine changed everything. Those of you who are like my age or older, you remember that, that, that to find out who was calling, what did you have to do? Yeah, stunning to those who are younger. To find out who was calling, get ready for this, you actually had to answer the phone. It's crazy. And then the answering machine came out, suddenly you could screen your calls. You could wait there and li- you had to wait there and listen, right? Beep, hello Chris, I'm calling. Oh no, I'm not talking to them, right? And you could distance yourself. And the list goes on and on and on. The third big challenge that's an impacting relationship is the rise of social media, which is, in a bless- is a blessing if used correctly. But at the same time, it's just not the same as face-to-face contact. And what one article said, and this really grabbed my attention, the author says, social media is creating an epi- epidemic of deferred loneliness. An epidemic of deferred loneliness. You feel a little bit lonely, so you post something on Facebook, you upload a picture on Instagram, uh, you tweet something, and then, generally speaking, you get some instant feedback. Someone likes it. Someone says, you look good in your selfie there. And you think, oh, yes, I do. I look so good in my selfie. And you get this immediate feedback. It doesn't alleviate or eliminate the loneliness. What it does is it just defers it. Just kicks it down the road a little ways. And so many of us were going through life with a bunch of Facebook friends, and yet no one we could call if we really needed to talk. And we got so many other blessings, and yet internally, deep down, when we're silent enough to think about it, we feel like there's something not working. Something's missing. Something's not as it should be. And that feeling, I believe, is God-given. Because you might be one relationship away from changing the course of your destiny. You can see it again and again in the lives of the people in Scripture. 
In Acts chapter 9, the whole trajectory of the Apostle Paul's life was changed by one friendship. Let's read verse 26 of Acts 9. It says, when he, <clears throat> that's Paul, that's, uh, that's Saul at this point, Saul, Paul, came to Jerusalem, it is Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. What's this mean? Well, before Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, and he was known as the chief persecutor of Christians. And so now he's a Christian, and he's like, hey, I want to preach. And all the Christians are like, I don't trust you. Last week you were killing us. I don't want you to come to my, friend, my fellowship group. Okay? And that's kind of where they are. Verse 27 says this, But Barnabas, who was his friend, took him and brought him to the apostles. And Barnabas puts his own credibility on the line to vouch for Saul. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And now in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So the Bible says, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem. And what was he doing? He was speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. God used one person, Barnabas, to change the course of Paul's destiny. Now the guy wrote over half of the New Testament and impacted literally millions and millions and millions of people. And the course of history was changed because God used one friend to change the course of Paul's destiny. There's a spiritual nature to relationships. And just as those who walk with the wise have the potential to grow wise, so in the same way the companion of fools suffers harm. And in the same way the righteous man is cautious with his friendships, the way of the wicked leads him astray. And bad company corrupts good morals. We've all seen that in some way. The question is, if this is a principle that works for or against us, if this is a principle that God wants to use to transform us, if God wants to use a relationship to grow faith, what do we, what do, we do? What is our part? And here's what we have learned we can do. We can create the potential for those kind of relationships. We know from experience that we can cooperate with God to help create those kind of relationships. This is why around here we are such fanatics about trying to get people in circles and not just rows. Not because we, can, we think we can orchestrate a, a relationship. We can't. But we can be intentional about putting ourselves in places where God may orchestrate a relationship. God is willing and able to do that, but we have a part to play. And that is being intentional about putting ourselves in positions where those relationships might happen. This is why if you're married, a married couple, you need to somehow be in a fellowship group. If you're exploring faith, please don't sit around and listen to me preach every week after week. Meet people. Interact. Begin relationships. God uses relationships to grow our faith. This is why if you have kids, if you have children, you need to get them in a circle where another adult is speaking into their lives. I'm so grateful to have a group of people in my children's life that are teaching and living out the gospel. So it isn't just Kate and me. That's, that grows their faith. The best thing you can do for kids is to get them in a, group, uh, in a group of relationships in which, as time goes by, God may orchestrate a connection with them to a, to a group leader or to someone in that group that gives them a vision of faith and life. Now is the time to do that. It's about teeing up potential relationships that God may use to blow up somebody's faith. Why? Because God uses our human relationships to grow our faith in him. It's that simple. <clears throat> the flip side is this. For some of us, the issue is, 
Are we willing to be available to God to be that person in someone else's life? Let me tell you what that means. I bet in this room, many of us know people and their, their circumstances break your heart. When you think about them, you're concerned for them. You're concerned about the relationships that they're in. Uh, you're concerned about the direction they are going. You're concerned about the way they talk about their marriage. <clears throat> you're concerned about uh, the fact that they never talk about their marriage. You just listen to them at work or you listen to them in the neighborhood and you're, you're grieved and you're just burdened and you think they just seem so far from God. And you've prayed for them and you have all the feelings and all that, but you have never intentionally put yourself into their lives or their situation. And you know why you don't? Same reason I hesitate. Because it can be awkward. Right? Let me tell you about faith-building relationships. They often start with a bit of an awkward conversation. And I'm not talking about being nosy or putting yourself into the middle of something you really have no business being a part of. But there will be times, motivated only for the good of the person, you have to say, okay, I know this is awkward but I can't just sit back and be concerned anymore. I don't want to just stand back here and and gossip. I don't want to go, well, whatever, it's her life, it's his life. At the risk of an awkward conversation, I'm putting myself out there. Why? Because God uses human relationships to build faith. And for some of us, that's our story, isn't it? A person, a couple, a lady, a guy decided to kind of intersect our lives, whether we wanted them to or not. And there were maybe some awkward moments, and God blessed those moments. And now looking back, you say, you know what? Even though I started off, you know, it seemed like none of your business, looking back, that was all orchestrated by God. So that's the challenge. Some of you need to be more intentional about putting yourself out there and taking some risks where God might want you to do something relationally. For others of you, you need to be more available. But the point is this. This is a principle that works all the time. And we either work with it or we, and benefit from it, or we ignore it and we miss out. Your friends determine the direction and the quality of your lives. Your friends determine the direction and the quality of your lives. And if you're a parent and you're going, ooh, that's good, I'm going to use that with my kid, pause, because it's true of you too. It is true of all of us. Our friends determine the direction and quality and the depth of faith of God. Because God uses relationships to impact and grow our faith in him. Amen? Amen. We're going to take communion together. Uh, If the ushers would start passing out the bread and juice. And could you just hold on to the bread and juice for a little bit? Um, Communion is is, uh, ultimately about forgiveness. That is what we remember and celebrate. As we take the bread and the juice, we remember our Savior who bought our forgiveness with his broken body and shed blood. And as we talk about relationships today, maybe you have a relationship that's not where it's supposed to be. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that needs some forgiveness. Maybe you wronged someone else. Maybe you've been been hurt or wronged yourself. What we're going to do today is we're going to pray. If that's where you are and you say, yes, I want to seek God for his healing, for his best. I want to seek him for his will in this relationship. 
Here's what I want you to do. You pray, okay? This is your prayer, not mine. You don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to, but just pray in your, your own words. Start praying for this person or these people that you hurt or who hurt you. Pray God's blessing, his goodness, his favor. Just pray in your own words for them. Pray for your own heart. Ask God to take a hard heart and make it soft. When you have a hard time forgiving others, think about how you've been forgiven. And then forgive like that. By faith. Even though you may not even feel an ounce of forgiveness inside of you. Even though you don't feel it, by faith tell God that you forgive. The actions you take in your life often dictate your feelings. So choose to forgive. You may not feel it right now, but take the step. According to the Bible, you can grant forgiveness before you feel it. Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty five, if you're standing and you're praying and you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Right there. It's obviously an act of the will or Jesus couldn't have said that. And forgiving someone doesn't mean that you have to put yourself in bad situations or that you, you, know, or that you don't have appropriate boundaries and all that sort of thing if they're needed. Forgiveness is really giving up your right to hold on to an offense. Ask God to show you what your part is, what he wants you to do. A letter, phone call, a gift, a hug, an apology, an email, a face-to-face visit. Ask him what he'd have you do and then commit to do it. And as you continue to pray, understand God is loving. He's also just. In the Old Testament, forgiveness was only achieved through a sacrificial system where they would take an innocent animal and they would sacrifice the innocent animal. And with the shedding of blood of the innocent animal, there would be a temporary forgiveness of sins. In the New Testament, there's a better sacrifice, the final sacrifice. When Jesus' son, when Jesus, God's son, who is the Bible calls the Lamb of God, shed his innocent, sinless blood so that we could be forgiven. Understand that you are never made right with God by being religious, by going to church, trying to do good works. It's impossible to work your way to God. The only way, thank you, the only way that we are made right with him is by the shedding of innocent blood. Jesus died so we could be forgiven. For God so loved you that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. And the Bible says that when you believe that was for you, when you believe that he was the Savior, he is your Savior and your Lord, it says all your sins are removed, your guilt is taken away, you're completely forgiven. So we're going to remember that today through communion. Maybe this morning as you take communion, maybe you'll be reminded that God loves you, and that there's forgiveness for all of us. There's no screw-up with more power than the cross of Christ. Maybe you just feel bound in life right now. Maybe you don't feel free. And as you take communion, maybe you'll be reminded that there's, there's freedom for those who are in Christ. Maybe you just feel unloved. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that God can love you. Maybe you just can't imagine that he loves you. Maybe as you take communion, the Holy Spirit will press on you the The price paid for you so that you might be forgiven. So let's take a moment in prayer. When you're ready, feel free to take communion, and then I'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your mercy and your love and your grace. I thank you for the hope that is you. I pray that maybe for the first time ever we would be in awe at what you purchased for us. 
Through taking the Lord's Supper and reminding ourselves of what it means and remembering your death, we pray that you would reshape our lives. Lord, Lord, because of your sacrificial love for us, we pray that we would be able to turn around and give sacrificial love to others. Lord, orchestrate relationships that build faith, build our faith in those around us, Lord. Make this world more and more the place you want it to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.